We started a new series in the new year, and we called it Walking with God. We've only done one so far. We started this last week, and we started with creation. And so we're going to do a several-week, maybe several-month series on walking with God, and what does that look like? Uh, we, t- we talked about Enoch last week and how Enoch walked with God. And because he walked with God, because he pleased God, God took Enoch up to his presence. Enoch didn't die. Now, God did not make a promise for us that if we walk with him, we will not have to die here on upon the earth. But, but that's a special thing that Enoch was able to experience because he walked with God. And I thought it was so important, something for my own soul to understand and to appreciate that it was worthy of a whole series. And so we're going to continue the series today, Walking with God Part 2. In fact, we're going to start sort of a Part 2 series on what's the next one called Invited. We're going to look about, talk about the covenant today, the covenant of God. And so, Lord willing, this will be a two-parter. We're going to look at it this week from the Old Testament. And next week, we'll look at the same lesson from the New Testament and glean some different things. So we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 7, if you have your Bibles. That's where we'll be. There are Bibles back on the bookshelf if you need them. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we'll get there here in a minute. But did you ever miss out on something, something cool, something important? Isn't that sad when that happens? Maybe you've heard the phrase, the ship has sailed, and you weren't on it. (laughs) Well, it's sad to miss out on some things. I'm going to give you a list of things that I believe are, are sad things to miss out on. In fact, I, did anyone else have a sort of a tired week this past week? Anyone else tired? Yes, yes, I see those hands. I, feel, I don't know if I was feeling tired this week, so I was, uh, the, the, the icebreaker was not coming to me. So you know what I did, which is what I typically do? I, I asked my kids to help me. My kids actually came up with the icebreaker this morning. No lie. I gave them the topic of what I was trying to, to talk about. And my kids answered this question. In fact, they answered it so well, I didn't think I could improve upon it. So I'm going to give you saddest, a list of saddest things to miss out on according to my kids. Okay, if you don't think these are funny, bring it up with them. <laughs> saddest things to miss out on according to my kids. And I'm going to, because you know I have eight kids, most of you know their names or some of their names. I'm going to let you guess which kids said this, okay? And let's start with number one. The first answer that I got was Universal Studios. Some of my kids, that's that, the twins. She's right. The twins said right out of their mouth, right out of the gate, Universal Studios. That if I had to miss out on Universal Studios, they would be crushed. They talk about it almost every week of their lives. That's their greatest dream is to go to Universal Studios. So if they found out that some, for some weird reason the family was going and they weren't included in that, they would be devastated. So the twins, that yeah, was the top of their list. Haddon, I, could, I, should, I gave you the answer. <laughs> See, I, sh- I should have, I, I, I messed up the list. I had their names before the thing. Anyways, I'll give you the number one. This is a freebie, okay? This, we're talking about bingo. That's your free spot. Haddon said a moose sighting. A moose sighting. If there was a moose to be seen and some of the family saw it and hadn't missed out on it, he would be devastated. He's just like his daddy. That would be at my list as well. Number three, I'm not going to give you the answer this time. It's a she, which we only have three of those, only. Um, but she said... The saddest thing to miss out on would be her own birthday. Who said it? Evie. Good answer. Evie said it. She said the saddest thing to miss out on would be her own birthday. How would that even happen? We have a birthday for Evie. She's not there. But apparently that's nightmare worthy. Uh, Number four, which really just made me chuckle. A visit to Joel's house. Who do you think said that? A visit to Joel's house. Haddon. Haddon has been to Joel's house. He wants to go back. I think if you invite him, he'll come every time. Um, loved going to Joel's house, so he said if he had to miss out of Joel's house, he would be pretty sad. Here's number five, which was the saddest one on the list, and I'm going to let you guess who said this. Saddest thing to miss out on, they said a ride home from church. I think we forgot him at church. Now, I'd be a little bit more impressed if he said a ride not a ride to church. If I missed out on a ride to church, I'd be sad. But he said a ride home from church. Who do you guys think said that? Marcus. Yeah, he's terrified one day we're going to leave him here. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? I, I used to watch this show growing up. Chris, do you remember this? I used to watch a show where these, this, these people got stuck in the mall at the end of the night and, and this mannequin came to life. It was a kid's show. I look back on this going, oh my word, that's awful. So I don't know what exactly Marcus's fear is there, but he doesn't want to be left here. So let's make sure today, okay? Let's count all the kids, make sure Marcus is with us. Number six answer was pretty funny as well. Nutella. Nutella. 
If I had to miss out on Nutella, that would be devastating. What kid said that? Well, yeah, we have some of these, some of these double dipped. But Adelaide, Adelaide said, if she had to miss out on Nutella, that would be devastating. So she's a little bit like her mommy. How do you say it? Did I say it wrong? No, Nutella. Nutella. Yeah, okay. Uh, this one, number seven, taking a picture with my friends making funny faces. I don't know. I just thought it was a unique answer. Taking a picture with my friends making funny faces. That person would be sad to miss out on that. Christy, who do you think? Taking a picture of my friends making funny faces. Evie said that. Evie said that. She would have a lot of friends. And if they're making funny pictures, that she wants to be a part of that. Number eight, sad thing to miss out on, is typical New Hampshire weather. No lie, that was an answer. Who do you think said it? No, I didn't say it. But the apple does not fall far from the tree, does it? Who said it? Haddon. Haddon doesn't want to miss out on the typical New Hampshire weather. Apparently he's buying into the propaganda. Uh, number nine, seeing the old man of the mountain. Apparently they, they, they're sad. They weren't here 20 years ago when they could see this thing. Who said it? Haddon, you know. The twins said it. Because you said they. Oh, I did? Yeah. Oh. Gave it away. Nice, nice job listening for the little tips there. The twins said that. And the last one, saddest thing to miss out on, daddy's icebreaker. None of them said it. But I had to put it on there because someone should miss it. Did you ever have to miss out on anything? Today we're going to talk about God's eternal covenant. And we're going to look at this from Deuteronomy chapter 7. Hopefully, Lord willing, none of us have to miss out on this because that is the whole goal of God's covenant. If you have your Bibles, join me in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 6 to 11 as we talk about being invited. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 11. Let's read the word of God. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Hear the word of God. Now, of course, this is written to the children of Israel. Okay, Only a couple chapters before this, they received the Ten Commandments. And a little bit after that, God is describing to them how he's going to bring them into the promised land. So we come to chapter 7, and the Lord's giving this discourse to the Israelites and describing to them his covenant that he made with them long ago, that he is establishing and holding them to it, or holding himself to it. So here's our three-point outline as we talk about being invited to the covenant today. Number one, the foundation. Number two, the promise. And number three, the commitment. Hopefully you've got your orange sheet and ready to go with notes if that is something that you do. Let's start with the foundation. We've mentioned this many times. I'm, I'm not a builder, but I've, I know enough to know that when you build something important, you need a foundation, right? You need something underneath it to dig down deep and make sure that thing can last for many years, many decades. And so that foundation is important. You have to dig it. You have to dig it down deep and make sure that not only is it here today, but it's going to be here through all the warm or the, through all the weather and the trials that come against it. And so a foundation is important. But a foundation is important for a building, of course. But a foundation is important for a relationship too, isn't it? Would you say yes, that there should be a, a, a nice, strong foundation to every relationship that's going to last? Well, I don't know if you recognize these two kids. Um, that, yeah, you could probably tell who that is, even though we've aged a little bit. Um, that is circa 2008, probably. And that is myself and my lovely wife. We were not yet married in this picture. That was one of our first dates. We went to a football game and Michigan lost by a lot. And uh, we lost, we lost, literally lost the car on that date. We, we lost the car. I didn't know where we parked. We ended up wandering an hour. It did not go well. It was not a good first date. And yet we soldiered on. Um, that's, yeah, this is about 16 years ago now, that picture. And uh, as, you, as you know, we're together. We have a beautiful family. 
What's interesting is I moved to Michigan in 2008 to do campus ministry work. I moved there for ministry. God had got a hold on my heart, and it called me to serve young adults on the campuses of Secular University. So I started in Ann Arbor, Michigan, serving with young adults. And that's where I met Janine, my wife. And when I moved there, I moved there for the Lord's sake. I moved there for ministry's sake. And we kind of have a cool how-did-you-meet story. Because when I visited there in the spring of 2008, just to visit and get a lay of the land, I met Janine. She was there. She was still going to college at that time. And I met her and got to get to know her. And nothing happened. There were no sparks or anything like that. Just got to know, just got to know her a little bit at a little gathering there. And then later on, a couple weeks went by, and she ended up messaging me online. She did. She did. She's the one who came after me and said, <laughs> I need to hook him. No, she didn't. Look, according to her story, she, she messaged me to find out about the ministry and how she could be involved. In the, I know, right? A classic story. I've never believed it. I don't believe it today. But that's her story, and she's sticking to it, that she reached out to me and said, I understand that you're leading this ministry, and I'd like to see if I can be involved in that ministry. And ideally, really, that's how our relationship started. We started both with an interest in serving the Lord and being in ministry together. And that is the foundation of Todd and Janine. That's where it started. That's how it all began for us. And now, as you know, we're, we're in ministry today. We serve the Lord full-time today. And our greatest delight is to serve the Lord. And that's a deep foundation, isn't it? That's a good foundation. I believe that's what's helped us stay the course steadily, having eight kids and many moves and coming up here in the North Country through all the thick and thin. It's because we have that steady, solid foundation that God dug deep, thankfully for him. So I have that with one relationship in my life, and I'm so thankful for that relationship. But there's another relationship in my life that God was able to give me somewhat recently that also has a strong foundation. And it's you sitting here today, part of Crossroads Church. A little over a year ago, most of you, some of you, remember when that happened. God brought my family up to the North Country. And uh, we were so delighted to be called to New England because we had been wanting to serve in New England for about a decade, and God finally made it happen. But we weren't going to force that. When God brought us to Crossroads and we got to get to know the people, there was a similar connection. There was a mutual interest, you might say. And it was the same thing. An interest for the Lord and an interest to serve Him. And that is what bonded our family with Crossroads Church because we had the same things in common. We wanted to serve our Lord. We wanted to serve His church. And God dug that foundation, I believe, deep. And that's why I believe that foundation is strong, or that relationship is strong today. Because a foundation is necessary, isn't it? Not just, oh, you're the right person for the job now. We need someone. Why don't you come in and fill this hole? That's not going to be a long-lasting, deep relationship. It has to have that steady foundation. And thankfully, we have this with the Lord, don't we? The Lord does not just say to us one day on a whim, hey, why don't you follow me? Why don't you give your life for me? Why don't you just become my people? What does the Lord do? He digs that foundation deep, doesn't he? We talked about last week about being created. Is that a deep foundation? I mean, we're literally created by God from, from his hands, from his will, to be his people, I would say that's a very deep foundation. But he also gave us, as we'll talk about today, his covenant. He gave us his love, his steadfast love. He gave us the gospel. He gave us his son. He gave us the word of God. He gave us the church. He gave us so many blessings so that we could know the Lord is willing to invest in this relationship. He is digging that foundation deep so that, as we'll talk about today, that relationship can be eternal strong for the remainder of eternity. And I'm so thankful that he did it that way. That if you have a relationship with Jesus today, that relationship is based on the foundation that God has laid. And he laid it so deep that the devil himself can't move it, can he? And we'll talk about that here at the end. Listen to what he says in verse 6 of chapter 7. He says, For you, and even though he's talking about the children of Israel, that is the context, I believe this is a fantastic parallel for the church. I think we're included when he says you, because God's covenant and God's plan is also eternal. It says in the New Testament, before the foundations of the world, you and I were thought of. Did you know that? You and I were chosen before the foundations of the world. So even though directly he's speaking to the children of Israel, I believe he's also included the church when he says for you. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Does anyone know what the word holy means? Set apart. That's right, set apart. We are a people set apart 
to the Lord our God. Boy, aren't you so thankful for that? That God specifically chose you and I to be his people, to set us apart from all the peoples of the world. It says the Lord your God has chosen you. That's a special phrase. Have you ever been chosen for something really important? We all have. And that, that answer is we've been chosen to be God's people. If you're sitting here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, then you belong to God. And that means God chose you long before you chose him. Long before. So that if you're alive today, if you have a relationship with God today, with Jesus today, it's because God specifically said, I want them. I want them. And I'm going to give them my love and my covenant, and I'm going to save them. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to forgive their sins because I want them. That's your testimony, and that's my testimony, that we were chosen by God to be a people for his treasured possession. Now, if we just remove that one word, this whole passage can take on a totally different tone, can't it? Because that means God can kind of locking us into something maybe we don't want. Or maybe, maybe God's not that good. Maybe, maybe what God is doing for us is something beyond what we want. Maybe, it's, maybe it goes beyond our will. But God is doing it. He's locking us up. He's locking us into something. Is that what he's doing? No, because of the word treasured. Let me use a kind of a silly illustration. But when I go to bed at night, one of the things I do before I go to bed is I make sure all the doors in our house are locked. I think most good dads probably do that. They go around and lock all the doors. Why is that? Well, it's because my children, my family, are my treasured possession. It's because I love them, and I don't want anyone to harm them. Now, if I wasn't a good father, that might be a little bit of a scary situation, right? That I'm locking people inside my house. But why is it not scary or creepy? Why is it, in fact, a very loving thing to do? Because I treasure them, and I'm good to them, and I love that family. Well, God is that way with us, only more so. He's good, and he's loving, and he's compassionate towards us. And we are his treasured possession Notice the phrase, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Isn't that powerful? Out of anyone that God could have chosen in this earth, and there are many mighty, wise, attractive people in this world. He didn't choose them. He chose us. Aren't you flattered? It's, it depends how you look at it, right? But God, of all the people God could have chose, he chose the people in this room and every other Christian. He chose us because he loves us. It's that simple. Now, I, I don't know if you're a football fan or not. My screen's not catching up here. Let's see if it will. Yeah, this happens sometimes. I may have to go forward and then go back. There we go. Okay, so some of you are football fans. Some of you don't care about football, but it doesn't matter. About 20-some years ago, uh, the New England Patriots selected someone that kind of changed the whole culture of the Patriots. We were just talking about that. The Patriots weren't very good, were they, for a long time. And then they drafted someone from Michigan named Tom Brady, and their whole culture changed because he was selected in the sixth round, the 199th pick. The Patriots decided to go with this, this flyer, this Tom Brady, who not everybody was really high on, and he ended up being the greatest quarterback of all time, the greatest player of all time, some people consider. And they chose him. They chose him out of all the people they could have had, of, out of all the other quarterbacks, and I think there were six or seven before him that were selected. They went with this guy from Michigan. And now they're so thankful that they did because they got six championships out of that selection. But this is unlike what we're talking about today because they chose Tom Brady because of his arm or his, his leadership abilities or the fact that he was able to, to lead a squad of players so well or the fact that he was able to manage a game so well. They saw something in him. But God doesn't say it that way. God's going to give us a love letter today and he's going to tell us something probably a little different than we're expecting to hear. Because why? Why did God choose us? I mean, think about it internally. Why did God choose you out of all the people he could have chosen? Why us? And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm kind of like Tom Brady. I'm a sleeper, you know? I'm better than most people consider. If you pick me, it's going to be a really good selection. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says it this way. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to, notice it, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. Why? Notice it. Because of his great mercy. 
That's the foundation of our relationship with God. Not that we're so lovable, but that he's so merciful. And what would be better than to show mercy to people like you and I? What would glorify God more than anything than to show mercy like to great sinners that you and I are? And if you know yourself, you know that you are a great sinner. And God has been truly merciful to you. Amen? And we've sang this song ever since we were little. Jesus loves me, this I know. Finish it for the Bible tells me so. And we've sung it since we were little. My kids have sung it. And I believe it. The Bible tells me that God loves me and I believe it. But I don't just believe it because he tells me. I believe it because he shows me. And how did he show me most profoundly? He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. So that I don't have to pay for my own sins. So that I don't have to stay dead. I don't have to belong to the devil for the rest of eternity. I can be redeemed. And that's how I know that God loves me. Because he says it and then he followed it up with the greatest act of sacrifice of all time. And that is the, my foundation for my relationship with God. But notice that in Deuteronomy 7.7, 7, he's going to sort of give us a little bit of answer to that question. Why? Why did I choose you? He says in verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. Now, did you ever get a love letter? Did you ever write a love letter? Typically in a love letter, you want to gush, right? You want to gush about how the, all the great things that that person is, or if they're writing it to you, all the great things that you are to them. Janine and I will swap love letters from time to time, and that's, that's, that's our strategy. We gush about all the great things we are. Now, Christy, I didn't... I literally just remember this story. When you were in college, you got a scholarship, correct? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the online people are going to be able to hear this, but I'll repeat this. What was the, what was the phrase they first said when they brought you up to give this scholarship? Because this is such a funny story. Let me repeat that for the online audience. My sister was brought up on stage in college to get a scholarship, and the guy literally started... By saying, now this scholarship does not go to one of our brighter students. Uh, she, uh, she, uh, she wrote a book about it. Yeah, she, well, that's the, that's the complexity of that story. Is Christy ended up getting a $1,000 scholarship for, for not being the brightest person. So there, there's, there's a dream for all the kids out there, right? Maybe bright is not the way to go. So I had to bring that up because it's such a classic story. But it, it kind of sets up where we're going here because sometimes, sometimes that happens in life, right? Sometimes someone's trying to compliment you. I don't even know if you guys can see these. And they end up doing the very opposite. Can you guys read those? Probably shouldn't say the, the word in the middle there, but it is what it is. Sometimes you get a love letter and it doesn't flatter you as much as you expected it would. You know, sometimes you just get the straight truth. You'll do. The one on the right, I, I really hope that's fake. Because it says, I would never murder you. Uh, like, that's the deepest love out there. Thank you for that. Well, here's another one. Here's another example. This one says, I love you more than coffee, but please don't make me prove it. <laughs> I think Janine, I, I think that's exactly something she said to me once. And then love at first sight is possible, but it pays to take a second look. <laughs> oh, boy. It'd be fun to write greeting cards, wouldn't it? I think if, if this thing doesn't pan out, that's what I'm going to do. But God, God says something. I, when I read verse 7, I, that's not the gushing that I expected to hear. When God says, listen, I chose you over all the people on the earth, and I'm going, man, I must be pretty special then. For God to choose me and give me his love. And then he says in verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than all the people in the Lord set his love on you. It was because you were the fewest of all the people. And it's kind of what he's saying here to us today, going, you're not the greatest or the strongest, or the best, or the smartest, or the prettiest. That's not why I chose you. That's not at all why I chose you. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. And the, the New Testament kind of backs us up. God chooses the weak to shame the strong. He chooses the fools to shame the wise. So that what happens? God gets the glory. Because if he chooses the pretty, the athletic, the smart, the talented people, we can pat ourselves on our back and go, ha ha, God, you made a great selection. But when God tells us people, it's not because of who you are, it's because of who I am. Then we have to direct the glory to who? We have to direct the glory to God. He says in verse 8, but it is because, here's the reason, and this is so beautiful, here's the reason God chose us. It's because the Lord loves you. It's because the Lord loves you. Sure, he's merciful. 
Sure, maybe we're not the smartest, brightest, best people out there. But here's the real answer. God chose us because he loves us. It's that simple. Why do marriages stay together? Why do relationships stay strong even though there's stress and tension and difficulties and trials? It's quite simple. It's because we love them that we want to carry on. But there's also a secondary reason. He said it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And it was many years ago that that happened. That the Lord redeemed the people of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who was not going to let the people go. The Lord had to rip them from him. And then you remember the story. The Pharaoh, eventually after ten plagues, lets the people go and then changes his mind and races after them to go get them back. And they find themselves trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And God splits the sea in two and the people walk through on dry ground and he closes the sea on top of their enemies. And it's a mighty salvation, isn't it? And the Lord is telling them that today. I love you and I made an oath that I would protect you, that I would keep you. I made a covenant with your fathers and I'm going to keep that covenant. So the reason that you are my chosen people, the reason that you are my cherished possession, my treasured possession is because I love you genuinely and because I'm keeping my oath that I made to the forefathers. And here's where we understand, we begin to understand this thing called the covenant, God's covenant. And that's a big word. That's not a word we throw around a lot today. And maybe that's a good thing because it's such a serious thing. But we can't help ourselves every time we see a rainbow in the sky, right? At least our family. We can't help but think back to the days of Noah when God said, I will put a bow in the sky and that will represent my covenant with you, that I will never, ever flood the world again. And it's all started with God's covenant. And this is a beautiful thing that we're talking about today because God is inviting us or has invited us to that covenant with him. This eternal union with him and the Lord Jesus Christ. He has invited us to be a part of that forever. If we want it, it's available to all of us. If we want to be linked and be in union with our God forever, he's going to invite us to a covenant. And many of you have already accepted that invitation, saying yes, I want to be a part of God's eternal love for the rest of time because my God is good and my God is loving and there's no one better to be linked with than the almighty God who sent his son to die for me. Covenant, we're going to define it. I, I, I know there's probably a few definitions for this word, but I found a pretty good one that I'm going to go with today. I found this online and it says, a covenant is an agreement of mutual obligation regardless of how asymmetrical one party promises to do these things, and the other party those things. Whatever promises and obligations are involved, each party is understood as being accountable and acting to uphold his or her side of the covenant. Each party is an agent. That is one who has the ability and the responsibility to act. Now, a covenant is a two-way commitment. God has created this thing called a covenant, which is a two-way commitment. Of course, God could give us a one-way commitment. He could give us a one-sided one street going, it all, love only flows from heaven to you, but he doesn't. He invites us into a covenant, which is a two-way street of love from God to us and from love of, from, God, from us to God. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we're going to hopefully unlock today for why he would do it that way. And he's inviting us today to be a part of that covenant. And he says in Judges 2.1, listen to it, I will never break my covenant with you. I will never break my covenant with you. And when God makes a promise, God stands by that promise no matter what. Because by his very nature, God cannot break a promise. When God makes a promise, it comes true 100% of the time. Even if it's not in the time frame that we want it to, God's covenants and promises will always be true. And that is the covenant that he's inviting us to today. We've talked about the foundation. Let's now talk about the promise because this is the whole point of the covenant the promise that comes attached to it. Now, in our culture, we have ways of making promises and vows, right? Uh, when we were little, we used to do this thing called pinky swear. That was serious stuff. When you pinky swore, you that was serious. Something big was going down. And then companies, when they're selling stuff, will do this thing called a 100% money-back guarantee. Remember all those infomercials? If, if we sell you this knife that can cut through a shoe and then it doesn't cut through a shoe, we'll give you 100% of your money back. Was anyone in the Boy Scouts? Remember Scouts Honor? Scouts Honor, which means, what did it mean? I, I, I promise it will happen according to the code of conduct that I've accepted. We have ways of promising ourselves 
to those who we love. Now, one of the scariest things I've ever endured, ever, is breaking a promise to a child. I don't ever recommend doing that, ever. If you make a promise to a child, you better keep it because there is wrath to pay. And that's not a good thing, is it? When you make a promise and you break it. It's not a good thing. It's not something we should ever do to anyone we love, especially those of our own household. But sadly, we do sometimes, don't we? Sadly, we make a promise, we meet it at the time, and then circumstances change down the road, and, and, and then we can't keep it. And, and we feel bad about that. It's like, oh man, I, if I knew that was going to happen, I wouldn't have made that promise so sure. But I can't keep my promise because of this. What if our God was that way? What if God meant it when he said it? I love you. Boy, I, I love you, and I intend to have you with me for the rest of time. But God, because of circumstances, variables, can't keep the promise. Maybe he gets so frustrated with us, he just says, you know what, I would have kept my promise if you were better, but not any longer. I don't know if any of us would be here today, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if anyone would be sitting in these chairs. I'd be preaching to nobody. In fact, I wouldn't be preaching because I wouldn't be here today either if God didn't keep his covenant in my life. Now, we think in our culture that the greatest, I think, this, I've heard this many times, I think the greatest depth of love that mankind can come up with is unconditional love. And I've heard this many times in many different circles, that the greatest love that exists is unconditional love. That, that no matter what happens, love will be there. No matter what you do, love will be there. That is the greatest depth of love that mankind can come up with. And I have kind of two questions regarding unconditional love. Number one, does it exist? Is it biblical? And number two, is it the greatest love? So although we can't flesh this out as long as it deserves, I'm, I'm going to sort of answer, try to answer those two questions today. Because I'm going to say to the first question, yes. And no. The answer to does unconditional love exist in the Bible, I would say yes, but maybe not to the degree we think it does. But it definitely exists in some fashion because we find in Colossians 2 along with Ephesians chapter 2, notice the phrasing, when you were dead in your sins. Now that's pretty pointed, isn't it? There's not much wiggle room there, is it? When you were dead in your sins, dead, flatlined, spiritually dead, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, notice it, God made you alive with Christ. That sounds pretty unconditional to me, doesn't it? That when we were dead and unable to do anything for God, that's when God made us alive with Christ. That's when he forgave all our sins. Do I get any credit for that? Do you get any credit for having your sins forgiven? Or does God get 100% of the credit for that? Of course, God gets 100% of the credit. We were dead in our sins. We were uncircumcised in our flesh. And that's when God made us alive and forgave all our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So according to that, I would say, yes, unconditional love exists in the Bible. Because when I was unable to do anything for God, he loved me anyways. He gets 100% of the credit for my spiritual life. So it definitely exists when we are outside of the covenant. But the question we want to answer today is, when we're inside the covenant, is unconditional love the best, greatest love that God calls us to? Because you have to remember the term about the covenant. The covenant is a two-way street, a two-way commitment. That's what a covenant is. By its very design, when God invites us into a covenant, he says, I covenant myself with you, and I expect you to covenant yourself with me. And it's represented by an early institution we call marriage. Marriage is often called a covenant, isn't it? Especially in Christian circles. Because it's a two-way street. It's not one person saying, I will love you unconditionally for the remainder of your life. It's saying, I will love you and you will love me. And we vow to that today. And that's what a covenant looks like. In John 3.16, as we're invited into this covenant for the first time, maybe this is the first verse we ever heard. It's one of the first verses I ever heard as a child. And it's one of the most beautiful verses in the entire word of God. When God invites us into this covenant in John 3.16, he displays his love before us by saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that is the greatest act of love that's ever happened in the history of time, that God gave his son Jesus. But notice it, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you see a condition there? Just use your eyes. Do you see a condition there? Does God invite you to the covenant? Yes. Does God invite the whole world to the covenant? According to this verse, 
Yes. But is there a condition? Do you have to believe? Or does everyone get saved, everyone get heaven, regardless what they do with Jesus Christ? And the answer is no, of course not. You must believe. Now, maybe that's not a very big condition, but according to John 3.16 and according to the definition of a condition, that is a condition. I must believe in Jesus if I want my sins forgiven and I want eternal life, according to John 3.16. So maybe it's a little bit of a complexity with the question, is unconditional love a biblical? And as you keep going through the Bible, you keep finding this sort of pattern peppered throughout the scriptures where he says in John 14, 15, Jesus speaking, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments because when I loved you, I gave you my son. When I loved you, I sent Jesus to this earth. So if you desire to love me, don't just say it. And that happens all the time, doesn't it? People say, I'm a Christian. Sure, I love God. No, I don't go to church. No, I don't read my Bible. No, I, I don't do anything for other people. But God knows deep down that I love him, even though I don't do a thing to represent that love. And Jesus is not looking for that kind of love inside the covenant, is he? He says, if you love me, let me see it. Obey my commandments. That is what I'm looking for inside this covenant. And I think that's exactly what he's representing here today. That God's covenantal love is deeper, greater, and more beautiful than unconditional love. And I really believe that as I look into the Bible, God could have said, I love you unconditionally no matter what you do, no matter how you act. You don't have to believe, you don't have to obey, you don't have to love. I will love you one way street for the remainder of eternity. That's the kind of love God could have given us. Why then does he go a different direction? Why does he invite us into a covenant? And the answer has to be because it's better. Because God wouldn't do anything cheap, would he? God would not do anything secondary. He would not see the greatest love of all time and go, I'm not going that high. I'm going to go down here a little bit. I'm still going to go love you, but you know, it's not going to be unconditional love because that's way higher than that. I think it's the opposite. I think the covenantal love God's inviting us to has to be the highest, greatest love available because my God is the highest, greatest person available, isn't he? And his love would represent him. It says in John 15, notice it, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, that's maybe you're bristling there, sitting there going, oh, I don't know like how this is sounding. It sounds like I have to do something in order to receive God's love, and I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what God is saying is saying, listen, I've invited you into a covenant. I will love you. I will keep my side of the covenant, but I'm going to do something remarkable. I'm going to let you love me as well. And I think that's unique. I think that's profound. That God not only said, I want to love you, but I'm going to let you show your love to me as well inside a covenant. And Jesus even said, listen, the way that I displayed my love to my Father is by obeying his commandments. I didn't even just say it. I didn't even just say, yes, God, I love you, I love your people, but I'm not going to go die for those people. Jesus came to earth Jesus obeyed the will of the Father. Jesus died on the cross, and he did everything the Father expected him to do. And therefore, the Father knows that Jesus loves him. Let's see if my screen will catch up again. Come on, this one's going to be worth it. I hope. Oh. Now, I found this random couple on the internet. But look at all the hair that guy's has. It's almost an afro. Um, again, this is, a, this is a picture of Janine and I. This is back in 2009 when Janine and I were wed to each other. This is a picture from our wedding day. Don't we look like little kids there? Yeah, before all the eight kids. <laughs> Made all the wrinkles and the hair go away. But I remember on that day, some, something unique. I remember standing there in, in the front of the church building on the altar and, and vowing my love to Janine. And I remember her doing the same to me. And I remember reciting sort of those, those classic wedding vows, right? for better or worse, in sickness and health, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, as long as you both shall live. I remember saying those vows to my wife, and I remember her saying them to me. And that, that day that we said that, that was the day that we entered into our marriage covenant together. That was the day that I told Janine, in, not, in more words than, than this, that I will never leave you. And that's the day that she told me, Todd, I will never leave you either. No matter what happens in this life, no matter what goes down, and we did not know the right kids, that many kids coming. But we said to each other, I will never leave you no matter what. And that's the day that we vowed our love to each other. And that's the day we entered into a covenant together. Now, if we had stood there on the altar and one person said, 
I will love you unconditionally. Another person said, great, because I have no intention of loving you. <laughs> that would be a weird one, right? It's probably a wedding you'd see on YouTube someday. If one person says, listen, I'm going to stick with you through thick or thin. I'm going to love you, sacrifice for the remainder of your life. And the other guy's like, well, I'm not doing that. I want nothing to do with that. In fact, I'm going to do whatever I want. And so the, the wife, the, the spouse loves her, her groom and the groom doesn't send love the other way. Is that a marriage? Is that a covenant? The answer is no, that's not a covenant. That's selfish. And that's nothing that you should enter into a union together because that's not how God created marriage. Marriage is supposed to be love back and forth. And of course there's times that one person makes up for the love of the other person because the other person has gone wayward for a little while. But Lord willing, in a, in a solid, strong marriage, love is there in both ways, both streets, because it's a covenant. And so I want to state this today. I believe God's love, his covenant to love, is better, deeper than unconditional love. Because it represents his nature. To not only love us with his immense, deep, vast love, but to invite us into a relationship where we can love our God. And if you know what a privilege and a delight it is to love your God, is that a gift? Is it a gift to be able to say to your God, I love you, and then to be able to display that love through sacrifice and commitment and faithfulness? I think it is. I don't, I, in fact, I think one of the worst things about hell is that, yes, you can't be loved in hell by God, but guess what you can't do? You can't love another person for the rest of the time. There's no love in hell. There's no opportunity to be loved, and there's no opportunity to love anyone else. I think one of the greatest gifts God ever gave us is saying, Todd, I'm going to give you an opportunity, a platform for you to love me as well. Because that's what it is inside of a covenant. He says in verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. We talked about that last week. He is God. He is our creator. Notice that he is the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you here today because of that, that God keeps his covenant and his steadfast love with you? He says, with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Again, he didn't have to say it that way. He could have said, listen, I'm going to love you and give you my steadfast love no matter what happens, no matter what you do, no matter if you want me or not, you're going to get my love. He could have done it that way. He didn't. He didn't. He said, I'm going to love you, I'm going to keep my covenant perfectly, and I'm going to invite you to love me as well. I'm going to invite you into a commitment where you can love me and I can love you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And I think that's a beautiful relationship we have with God, where we can say, God loves me, but I am moving up the mountain and growing in my love for God as well. It says in Psalm 89, 34, in the King James Version, my covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. God cannot break the covenant. Cannot. Once he makes the covenant, once you're invited into the covenant, once you agree to the covenant, God will never, ever, ever break his covenant. It cannot happen. It never will happen. And God puts his name on it. He puts his glory on it. I will never break my covenant. Now, is that a place of safety? Is that a place of love? Is that a place of acceptance when God says, I invite you in, you're going to be my cherished possession, and I'll never break the covenant. I'll never leave you, ever. I don't know if there's a safer place to be than the covenant of God. Now, in verse 10, this is where things get a little dicey. I didn't have to include this part. I could have trimmed it off right there and said, let's feel good about ourselves today. Let's not go down these darker roads. But he says in verse 10, and repays to their face those who hate him. By destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. He says in verse 11, You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Because that's what happens when we say no to the covenant of God. There's only one other option. We hate him. The only reason you would not accept the covenant of God is pure hatred. I don't want him. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want him to control my life. I want to live my own way. I want to live by my own rules. I don't want God having to say over my life. And God says, that's the other option. That's the other door. Accept my covenant or choose today to hate me. Because I'm your creator. We talked about that this last week. That's why we went in order. So we could fall back on that last lesson to say he is our creator. Regardless of what we think about him sitting here today, God made us. 
He crafted us. He made us special and unique and intricate. And he gave us a human brain that is so complex and so complicated and so beautiful that he gave it to us and us alone. He didn't give it to any other part of creation. And, he realized, and we realized even through the creation that God loves us. But he has to say to us today that if, if we don't want him, the only other option is to hate him. And therefore, those who hate him will be destroyed. Because there's no place for them, at least in the kingdom of God. In Job 37, we find this phrase, don't trifle with God. God is not to be trifled with. God is God to fear and to revere and to respect and to keep holy. He is not someone to trifle with. He's not like a relationship here upon the earth. That if I want to answer the call, I will. If I don't, I don't. If I want to keep your friendship, I will. If I want to keep this marriage, I will. If I don't, I don't. I can do what I want because it's my life. Well, that's not how it is with God. God is holy. God is our creator. And we don't trifle with him. But I think it goes deeper than that. I don't think God is just scaring us into the covenant. I don't think that's what he's doing because I'm a father. My screen will catch up there. I'm a father. And I know what it's like to send messages to my kids they don't really want to hear. And sometimes they sound a little scary, the messages I have to say. When I have to say to my child, I saw you getting near the hot stove, I don't ever want to see you touching the stove again. Or like we said earlier, I saw you with that fork near that outlet, yeah, that's not going to happen again, (laughs) ever. And if I see you with a fork near the outlet, there's going to be repercussions. If I see you chasing your ball across the street, I'm going to punish you. And that doesn't sound good to a kid. It's like, I don't know, that doesn't sound very unconditional love, God, Dad. You should love me no matter if I touch the stove, no matter if I put a fork in the outlet, no matter if I run after my ball, because that's what a good dad does. No, that's not what a good dad does. What does a good dad do? Protects his child. Doesn't he? Isn't the greatest love of all time protection, provision, safety, security? That's the kind of love that I give my children, and I don't think I invented that. I think I got that from God. And I think that's what he's doing when he says the last part of our passage. When he says, those who hate me will be destroyed. I don't want you to be destroyed. God is not saying, ha ha, I'm coming to get you. No, he's saying, I want to keep you safe within the covenant. Therefore, I have to tell you the truth. And in Hebrews 12, he says it this way. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. Get that on the screen as well. Hebrews 12, 6. And it's not comfortable to be chastised by God. It's not comfortable to find God's discipline. But where are you today without it? Where am I today without the discipline of God? I'm not alive today, guys. I don't follow Jesus Christ without God disciplining me. At age 26, I found his severe discipline. I mean, it was a dark time for Todd. But I look upon that time now with different glasses going, man, that is the time that God displayed his love in my life, maybe more than ever. Because I was wayward. I was following things I I shouldn't have followed. I was chasing things that could harm me and harm my soul. And God came in and said, Todd, no more. No more. I'm cutting you off. You're not going to do it anymore. And it's because I love you. And I'm going to discipline you today. And here I am today as a pastor of God's church because of God's love. Discipline love. Psalm 103, it says it this way, but the steadfast love of the Lord, notice it, is from everlasting to everlasting. Lasting, which means you can't find the beginning and you can't find the end, can you? You could search out the love of God and never find its beginning and never find its end. It's too vast. His love is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. There it is again. I love you with my steadfast love from everlasting to everlasting, but fear me, but obey me. And obey my commandments, because that's the safest place to be inside the covenant. And thankfully, this is also true, that sometimes we are wayward even on that narrow Christian road, aren't we? Sometimes, even on that road, even with maturity, even with learning, sometimes we go astray, don't we? We do. I'm going to be honest. I do, still. I have thoughts I shouldn't have. I have periods that I shouldn't have. I, I, I get lazy. I get complacent. I get selfish. And that's the day that the covenant's broken, right? That's the day that God writes me off. No, of course not. Because in 2 Timothy 2, Paul writing to his protege said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. That's not God telling us his love is unconditionally. That's God telling us, I will bring you back. I will accept you back because I want you and I love you and I want you protected for the rest of eternity. When you're faithless, I remain faithful so that when the light bulb goes on and you come to your senses, you can go, man, God is still there. 
He's still there with open arms, ready to receive me and to love me. And that's the idea of the prodigal son. He shouldn't have found God's love, but he did because God was there with his faithful covenant and the door was wide open. And that's why I believe we sing songs like, Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, right? There's no shadow of turning with thee. We've talked about the foundation. We've talked about the promise. Let's quickly move through the commitment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyone been there? Anyone seen that? Hopefully not. That's a, a joke, I would hope. The bride dragging her groom to the altar on the wedding day. Or maybe dragging him back. Who knows? But maybe he left already. But that's a, that's a funny picture. And that's supposed to be a funny picture because that's, that's kind of what the world does. That's, that's their version of love. Is that one loves, the other one wants out, and one, one of them makes it work. But that's not covenantal love, is it? That's not the love that God expects. He, he expects commitment. Now, I found, I decided to look up this word, and I've done this before. I've looked up this word commitment. Come on, screen. And I found that there's a couple definitions to the word commitment. And I think these are interesting because they contrast each other so drastically. And I'm guessing, and this is a guess, I think the second definition of commitment is rather new. I don't remember hearing that version of commitment growing up. So I'm going to guess that's rather new according to our culture. I don't know if you can see that. I'm going to read it. Commitment definition number one, it says the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause or an activity. That's a good thing, right? Dedication, commitment, quality, staying with it, devotion, allegiance, loyalty, all those good things. That's a good definition for the word commitment. Listen to number two. An engagement or obligation that restricts freedom of action. That's not so good. That sounds like I'm trapped. And I think that definition of commitment is probably new-ish. Because I think our culture has been headed that way, hasn't it? Commitment used to be a good word, and now commitment's like, I don't know. I want a back door. I want an exit. I want to be able to know that if this thing goes weird, if this thing goes badly, I can, I can get out of it. And I, I think that's sad, because maybe in our culture we need it, but with God we don't need it. And notice, again, notice it again. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Out of all the people he could have selected, he chose you and me. We are his treasured possession to be loved by our God forever. And I think that's so beautiful that that's someone we should want to commit to. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Do you notice a parallel? Were we in slavery? Not to, not to Egypt. Who were we in slavery to? Sin. That's right. Slavery to sin. And who owned us? Was he going to give us up? If we talked him into it, would he let us go? No, we had to be rescued just like the people of Israel had to be rescued. We had to be ripped from the clutches of the devil. We had to be ripped from the domination of sin. And God did it all because he loves us. Is that God worth committing to? I mean, ask that question to your soul today. Is he worth our commitment? Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's a lot of generations. That God is willing to give his love to those who sign up to his covenant and accept his invitation to the covenant. And this is where I'm going to sort of, before we close today, I'm going to pepper our minds with a few promises that God gave us. And for 2 Corinthians 6, 16, God says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be theirs, they will be mine. I, I said something similar to my wife on our wedding day. I will never leave you. And she said, I will never leave you. Basically, I'm yours and you're mine. And we meant it permanently. And that's a safe place to be. And we get that from God. He says in Joshua 1 and Hebrews 13, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Do you know God has never left us once? Not once, not one moment, not a fraction of time has God ever said, I'm out of here. I can't take it. He never leaves. Once that covenant is secured and committed, God remains with that commitment forever. And this is so beautiful that we sing about this. We sing about his great faithfulness. We sing about that enduring love. And we should. 
He says in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And anyone in the world match God's love? Anybody. Put anyone next to God. Can anyone say that? I love you with an everlasting love. No. Going back to our unconditional love thing, what if we said to God, God, God says to us, listen, I'm going to love you unconditionally, but I also expect the same from you, to love me unconditionally. Aren't you glad that we don't have to love God unconditionally? God never gave salvation, never gave protection, never gave promises, never protected us, never provided for us, never got us out of a tricky jam and said, love me anyways, unconditionally. What does God do? He displays his love, doesn't he? He shows his love, doesn't he? He lets us see his love in action so that we know when we commit to his love, it's there, it's permanent, it's real, and it's safe. And I can always trust it. That's why I think the covenantal love of God is the greatest, deepest love. And this is what helps us make sense of passages like Romans 8, 38 to 39. Paul says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That nothing can take you away from the love of God once you have it? Nothing, even the devil himself, because he would today, if he could. But he can't, because God will not allow it. Because of the beautiful covenant. And this is what we're being invited to. And if We've already accepted that invitation that God is reminding us today how good it is to be in a covenant with God. And maybe we haven't accepted it yet. Maybe God is displaying that love to us for the first time here today. And he's saying, I love you. And I've proven it. Because when you were the worst you possibly could be, I sent my son to die for you. So that you would know how deep and vast my love goes. So that you would be able to say, there's no greater place to be than the covenant of God. What's our point today? And this is part one. We're going to get to part two because the New Testament even shows it in a different perspective, which I think is also very powerful. But our point today, our application is this. God has invited all of us. Everyone sitting here has been invited into the eternal covenant of God through Jesus, always through Jesus. No one finds the covenant of God without believing in his son. No one. God made it that way. If you come, you come through Jesus. And if you don't come through Jesus, you don't come. My son is everything. I will make him the Lord. I will make him the Messiah, the Savior, the Chosen One, the King. And if you come through him, you will find my covenant. And when we're invited into that covenant, we accept that covenant, we find the greatest love of all time. I can't match that love. You can't match that love. Your spouse can't match that love. Your kids can't match that love. Your parents can't match that love. God's love is unique. It's one of one. Number two, I think this is the therefore that let us agree to. If we haven't already, let, let us abide in, if we've already said yes, and let us adore our covenant-keeping Lord Jesus. Because I believe, if you understand this, if we understand this today, he is worthy of our commitment. He is worthy of us to say today, I'm in. And when I say this, Lord, I mean it. You have me for the rest of time. As long as you help me, as long as you give me your grace, as long as you're faithful when sometimes I'm faithless, I'm in. I'm never leaving because you are worthy of that. I think our God is worthy of that, and I hope you would say amen. No one's love matches our God's love. And so we have a decision today to accept, maybe for the first time, the love of God and say, I believe. I believe Jesus. I believe he came because of the great covenantal love of God, and I want in permanently, because there's no safer place to be. Or maybe to accept in a new way, like I had to do in my mid-20s to go, man, I, I thought I was in. But now that I see it clearly, I have to really mean it and follow through on that commitment. And maybe you're in either one of those camps today and you say, God's given me a fresh start today. And if so, I pray for your soul today because someone was praying for mine. And that's why I'm here today. It's the covenantal love of God. It's being invited into his covenant. Would you bow and pray with me today? Father in heaven, we love you. But Father, it's only because you've loved us first. We desire to know you deeper. We desire to love you more. But Father, we are nothing without your faithful love. And I thank you for displaying that here today, for reminding us today that there is a greater love than unconditional love. There's a covenantal love. And then you've invited everyone here today to be a part of that, to be loved by you and to love you. 
in a place of safety and security and protection and provision for the rest of eternity. Father, what could be better than that? Remind Crossroads Church that you desire us to walk with you because there's no greater place to be. And those souls in this room who may not know you, who may have not tasted of your love, have not seen your covenant up close, I pray that you would invite them today in a special way and they would receive that, that today, maybe January 21st, 2024, is the day they begin this journey with their Lord by saying yes to his covenant. Father, do the work inside the soul for your glory. We thank you for what you're doing in our souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.